Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our executive pastor, Manny Colazzo. Hello, church, and welcome to Tuesday night. It's great to uh, be filling in for, for Pastor Nate on whatever platform it is that you're watching this. Um, remember to hit subscribe, like, or, or share this is one of the simple ways that you can get the Word of God out there with your friends if this message is a blessing to you or any of our messages. Make sure to also click subscribe because there you can hit the notifications as well and be notified whenever something new comes up and you can stay up to date if you've been watching us from home. And so let's jump into the Word together, right? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Have you ever watched a TV show that after the TV show introduces the setting, the characters, the tension or problem, that the mystery is revealed? And as the show progresses, it hooks you with bits and pieces of information. The producers, they tease you with possible solutions Twists and turns catch you by surprise. Maybe you are a fan of the, that series that came out many, many years ago, uh, the series 24 with Jack Bauer, or maybe uh, Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, or Designated Survivor on Netflix, where the star of the show is racing against the clock to stop a terrorist plot, to stop a presidential assassination or weapons of mass destruction from detonating, cyber attacks, all while cho- trying to overcome government conspiracies and, and corporate corruption. As the storyline develops, you as the viewer know that the show has a, a limited amount of episodes in order to resolve. And so each episode is designed to, to tease you and leave you hanging so that you come back for the next one. And have you ever reached the end of a series and all of a sudden you're told, to be continued? <laughs> I know for me that is so disappointing that now I have to wait till season two or season three in order for it to come out. Well, that's the way, that's the kind of feeling I get when I reread Jesus' words about the end of times in Matthew chapter 24 through 25. You see, Jesus has promised, he's prophesied, he is coming back. And as we read it, we know that time is running out. I don't know about you, but when I look at what's happening in, the, in our world, you can just feel it that it seems like something apocalyptic is happening. We see bits and pieces, what I call interesting, interesting indicators of the end. So many loose ends to tie up. How is Jesus going to do it? How will he return? Is, is he coming? Well, ever since Pastor Nate has been teaching us through Mark's version of what Jesus said about end times in Mark 13, I've been refreshing and, and rereading Other parallel passages, like Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, and my hope is that as you hear this message, that it dovetails with what he has been teaching. So if you have your Bibles again, we're in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 42. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 42. 
But first, a little background. And if it sounds familiar to what Pastor Nate has been saying, it is similar. I've stolen all of it. No, just kidding. I haven't stolen all of it. But Matthew and Mark are, re are referring to the same point in Jesus' time. So they're parallel passages. And as Jesus and his disciples were leaving the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, these disciples, they were filled with national and, and religious pride over the magnificent buildings that made up the temple that King Herod had built for the nation of Israel. The temple was this source of pride and identity for the nation. It was a beautiful place, a strong place that seemed invincible. It was also a sacred place. And Jesus, what kicks off this conversation, this dialogue with the disciples, which is also told in Mark, in verse 2 of chapter 24 of Matthew, he says, not one stone, speaking of the temple, here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, the thought of its destruction was such a life-shattering event to these Jewish disciples that it meant to them the end of Jerusalem, the end of their nation, and even of the world. And so in their mind, this also had to be the end of time when Jesus would return and rescue them and set up his kingdom in the end. And so, this is also in Mark, they ask, when? When, Jesus, how will we know? What is the sign of your return? So, what's clear to the disciples, as Jesus spoke these words to them, was that he was coming back. That was clear. Jesus was telling them, I am coming back. And so Jesus gives them the unmistakable sign of his return, the sign to look for in the sky. It was his bat signal, if you will. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He tells them this because he wants to prepare them he wants them to be ready. And so in order to further prepare his disciples, not just his disciples he was talking to then, but even his disciples now and disciples, followers in the future, in order to prepare all of us for his return in the end, he then goes on to compare his return to three examples. Three examples that would have been very relevant to the people living in that culture, in that part of the world at that time. But his main point, with all three of these comparisons is this. You might want to write it down. His main point with all three of these comparisons is this. I am coming back. Be ready for my return. I am coming back. Be ready for my return. First, in Matthew 24... Beginning in verse 43, Jesus compared his return to a thief, a thief that comes to break into a house. Now, if you knew that a thief was going to break into your home, maybe the thief, he or she, sent you an email. Maybe he DM'd you on Instagram or, or shot you a text real quick. Hey, so-and-so, I plan on breaking into your house. And I'm going to take 
fill in the blank, by force if necessary. What would you do? What would you do if a thief let you know ahead of time, hey, I'm coming? What's your next move? Well, Jesus knows what you would do. Listen to what he says in verse 43. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. Now, please, don't overcomplicate it. Jesus' point in this comparison is simple and clear. Verse 44, so you must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, just like a thief would. And so, what's the main point Jesus is trying to get at? I am coming back. He gives you this illustration of the thief to tell you, I am coming back, so be ready for my return. In verses 45 to 51, Jesus also compares his return, second, to an employer. An employer who is coming back to work. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know when I first started, and, you know, kind of sometimes now, too. You know, you have jobs, you, you go to work, and the temptation is always there to goof off or slack off when the boss or the manager, the supervisor isn't present. Have you experienced that? I know I have, and sometimes I still do. Well, listen to what Jesus goes on to say here in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him so doing when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked. And Jesus tells us what he means by wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, something he would never do if the boss were there. The master of that servant, just like the thief, will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, wait a minute. Why the extreme consequence? I don't, does that seem fair? It seems unfair to me. It seems extreme. I mean, how about just firing the guy or, or giving him a temporary leave of absence? But... Killing him? Death? Are you serious? I mean, isn't he still a servant? But there's a lesson here. See, for someone to conclude that Jesus, or in this instance, in the story, the employer is delaying his coming, therefore, I don't have to be ready. To Jesus, what he is saying is that that's an indicator that they don't believe. That they don't have to, they don't believe they have to prepare, even though they've been warned ahead of time that he would return. Ultimately, this attitude, it's a gauge of their soul's poor condition. And therefore, the consequence, as far as Jesus is concerned, is hell. 
In other words, if you have really been rescued from your sin, the observable, measurable result is that you will be motivated to be ready. So again, Jesus' point here is simple and clear. I am coming back. Be ready for my return. Listen, folks. If you think that you have plenty of time to get right with God, be careful. Be careful about postponing this important decision because no one knows when he will return. And even though, as you look at the times, there are some interesting indicators of the times that Jesus is referring to. Jesus warns us ahead of time in order to create an urgency within us, an urgency to get ready, not to give us an excuse to delay getting ready. And so the first thing you must do, if you haven't already done so, is to prepare for his return by trusting in the gospel. In a little bit, I'm going to tell you how to do that. There's a third example, a third comparison that Jesus makes to his return. Jesus' third comparison is found in the next verses in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Here Jesus compares his return to a groom coming to celebrate his wedding. Back in the day, marriages were arranged. When the bride or, and a groom were of age, and probably much younger than today, the groom would express interest and they would enter into what's called a one-year betrothal period. And this, in this betrothal, betrothal period, they were legally married. But they couldn't seal the deal. They couldn't experience the benefits of marriage, such as living together or sexual intimacy. And so during this year, the groom would go back to his parents' home. And he would actually build this addition onto his parents' home for him and his bride to live in. In the meantime, during that year, as that year progressed, the bride and her bridesmaids would begin preparing for the sudden, unexpected arrival of the groom who would come to take his bride. And so she would be in a constant state of readiness, just like the thief, just like the employer, the groom would return to get his bride at an unexpected and a sudden moment. So with that as a backdrop, in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, Jesus tells this story about 10 bridesmaids. And as they waited for the arrival of the bridegroom at some time during the night, each of them had an oil-fueled lamp. Five of the bridesmaids were wise, and they brought fuel for their lamps. Five were foolish and only brought their lamps without any fuel. Well, at midnight, all the bridesmaids heard the call that the bridegroom was coming. They heard the call to meet the bridegroom. Well, since their lamps didn't have any fuel, the foolish bridesmaid asked the wise ones for oil, but they refused, saying that they didn't have enough to share. 
And so while the foolish bridesmaids went to get more oil, the bridegroom arrives. The wise bridesmaids, bridesmaids then accompany him to the wedding. And the others arrive too late and were excluded. And so Jesus tells us the point of this story. In verse 13 of Matthew 25, he says, Watch therefore, just like the thief, just like the employer, watch therefore, just like the bridegroom, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so what, Jesus, what is Jesus' point with this third illustration? It's the same as the last two. He's letting them know, letting his disciples know, letting you and me know, letting disciples know in the future, I am coming back. Be ready for my return. In his book, Robert Hardy's Seven Days, Charles Sheldon tells the story of a man who had a dream. And in the dream, he was given only seven days to live. And so as he comes to the end of the seventh day, he finds out that he wasn't going to die after all. But he said, some seven days will be my last seven. And in this dream, that motivated him to live every day as if it were his last. Isn't that true for all of us? One of these days will begin our last seven days. Who knows? Maybe today is the beginning of our last set of seven days. Well, if you knew that Jesus would return in seven days, how would you live them out? That's what Jesus is asking with these three illustrations. How would you respond, Jesus saying, if I were like a thief coming to break into your home? <laughs> I'd be ready. How would you live if I were like your boss returning to work at an unknown time? I'd be ready. How would you respond if I were like a groom coming for his bride? Be ready. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Through these three examples, Jesus is predicting. He's warning. He's telling us ahead of time that he is coming back at an unknown time and that he expects his followers to be ready when he comes back. Well, how about you? Are you ready? Well, before answering yes or no, don't be too quick. Have you made the necessary preparations so that you are not caught unprepared for the unexpected return of Jesus. Are you ready? As I'm asking you this question, what's the natural question that we should be asking? As Jesus telling us, be ready, be ready, be ready. I hope you're asking this question. Well, how? 
Okay, I believe that he's coming back. How? What does it mean to be ready? How do I get ready for the unexpected return of Jesus? What does it look like to be ready? Well, I mentioned to you earlier, first, it means to trust in the gospel. What is the gospel? I'm glad you asked. The gospel is the good news. That's simply what it means. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news of how God rescues people from the bad news. You see, because of sin, the bad news is that a perfect and righteous God, before a perfect and righteous God, all people are declared guilty and deserving of eternal punishment. But the good news is that God is gracious. God loves you. But hold on, the good news gets better. God promises to rescue. He promises to deliver, to save anyone who repents of sin, believes in the gospel, and commits to follow Jesus no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions. Can you believe the good news gets better? The good news is that when Jesus returns on the great day of judgment, everyone and anyone who followed him will be welcome and is guaranteed acceptance into God's kingdom. Isn't that good news? If you're sitting there and you're saying, hey, I know, I believe he's coming back, I believe his word, and I want to be ready, your first step in being ready is to believe and trust in the gospel to rescue you from the consequence of your sin. There's no magic words. There's no a red tape or hoops to jump through. It's a simple acknowledgement. God, I believe that I'm destined for hell. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe and I want to be spared. I want to be spared from that judgment. Thank you for being a God who loves me, a God who is gracious. Thank you for what Jesus did for me on the cross. I believe that that is what rescues me, that he is the one that rescues me. And in that instant, you stop being God's enemy and you become his friend. You stop being a stranger and he identifies you as a child. You're no longer blind, but now you can see or deaf and now you can hear. That's called salvation. If you believe the gospel, that's the gift that he offers you, the gift of eternal life. Your first step in being ready for the return of Jesus is believing and trusting in the gospel. How else do you get ready? Well, in the rest of the chapter, Jesus again compares his return to some other examples. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus compares his return to another employer. This employer delegates the management of his wealth to three of his employees while he was gone. Verse 14 begins... And it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, the property he entrusted to them, if you go on and read it, it was a sum of money called a talent. In the story, a talent, don't confuse it with an ability or a skill. That's not what it is. A talent is a weight 
W-E-I-G-H-T. See, back then, you measured the value of something with scales, weights, and measures. And so a talent was estimated to be equal to the weight of silver ranging from $1,500 to $2,500. Now, in the story that Jesus goes on to tell, each of these employees were given a different amount of money or different number of talents to manage, to be responsible with. And Jesus explains what it meant to be responsible and to manage the money well. It wasn't the amount that they had when he came back. Instead, responsibility and proper management meant that they did something, anything, with what they were given. They made an attempt to use it, to do something with it. And we know this because the employer in the story, he suggests to one of his employees that if he had simply deposited the money in the bank and allowed it to passively collect interest, that would have been acceptable. Well, listen to what happens in verse 19. Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The first two servants, the ones who used their talent, they multiplied the money. And the master rewarded them by giving them more because they demonstrated that they could be trusted. And so the master says to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But the one who was given only one talent didn't use it. Instead, he buried it. And so the master scolds him, punishes him, stripped the talent away from him. And then we see a similar example, a similar extreme consequence that we saw a few verses earlier. In verses 28 through 30, he says, For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, why so harsh? Why so hellish of a consequence? You see, to Jesus, what he's telling us is that for someone to be irresponsible with what he or she has been given is an indicator of the condition of their soul. It's an indicator that they do not believe. And if they don't believe, then they're not ready for his return. In other words, the fruit, the observable, measurable result of genuine belief, the kind of belief that rescues us from our sin, is that we will be responsible with what we've been given. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Jesus is stressing that when he returns, everyone will have to give an account for how they have used what God has given them. Jesus is stressing the importance of a person being ready for his return by faithfully using what the master has given. What about you? What have you been given? 
time. We've all been given time. Maybe you've been given a talent, a skill, something that you are good at. You have a knack for this thing. Maybe it's treasure. You've been given something valuable, money, perhaps. Is it a skill, an ability? Maybe for you, what God has gifted you is family connections. You are well connected within your community. Maybe God has blessed you with a social position. You have authority, you have clout within your community. Perhaps it's education or maybe an experience. Some of you have been given the talent of helping or leading or encouraging. And others, others use their personal time at the expense of themselves to help other people. How are you using what God has given you? But if we're handling this parable honestly, the, the talent invested in the parable, it's money. Jesus is saying that investing money, not hoarding money, is the wise and responsible thing to do with it. So, for example, the entrepreneur who starts a new business and gives jobs to others, or the health service administrator who initiates maybe a, an AIDS awareness campaign, or a social worker who serves the homeless. Hey, those people are fulfilling this story just as much as the volunteer children's worker. However, there are many who instead of investing and using what God has given them, they're just burying what God has given them. So if you want to know how, how do I get ready? What does it mean to be ready? What does it look like? What Jesus is telling us is that being ready is seen, the evidence of it, by being responsible with what you have been given. Manage it well by using it in the simplest of ways. Use your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your time, your money. Hey, you've been given the good news of the gospel. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the changes it produces in your life? Use it all. This is what it looks like to be ready. Using what God has given you responsibly. Well, how about you? Which employee do you relate with? Which one are you? Which one have you been? The faithful one who did something? Or maybe the one that buried their talent? Have you buried your talents or are you using them? Listen, only you know and the Lord knows. But the answer to that question will help you determine if you are ready. How? How do I get ready? What can it look like to be ready? Well, finally, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus gives us another comparison of his return. 
Jesus compares his return to a shepherd separating his sheep from goats. Beginning in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on his left. For those of you who are familiar with this illustration, you know that the side you want to be on is the right side with the sheep. So, how do we make sure that we end up on the right side in the end? Well, it depends. The separation depends on how we treat people in need. Jesus continues to say that then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Hey, Jesus has promised I am coming back. Be ready for my return. Well, Jesus, how do I get ready? What does it look like? The observable, measurable result of genuine belief, the kind of belief that rescues you from your sin, is not only using what you've been given, but also, number two, caring for others. Caring for others for others. If you are a believer who is ready for Jesus to return, it will affect how you treat other people. He goes on to say that then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When you see this, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. See, folks, to be ready means that we can't ignore the plight of human beings who are suffering. We, we can't ignore when people are hungry and thirsty and naked and homeless, sick or imprisoned. Folks, even what you receive because of your work, God gives you an income not only so that you can provide for yourself and your loved ones, but so that you can have something to give to those in need. Then it says, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, needing clothes, or, in, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. 
whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hey, if we are going to take Jesus' words in this passage seriously, more may hang in the balance of our caring for others than we realize. Apparently, to Jesus, our care, our concern for other people is an indicator of the condition of our soul. And it also lets you know whether or not you are ready for his return. Are you ready? Feed the hungry. Are you ready? Clothe the naked. Are you ready? Visit the imprisoned or the sick. Care for people. When Jesus returns, it won't be like he did when he came the first time, as we read here in the scriptures. The first time he was described as a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when Jesus returns the second time, the scriptures tell us that he will return like a lion. Totally different kind of creature. He will return as a lion to judge the world for its sin. And even though I believe that the church, those who have that genuine belief that I've been talking about, won't be here. Listen, he has given us time. He has given us ample, more than enough, sufficient time. He has predicted it and he has warned us, I am coming back. He even told us in this passage what he wanted us to do about it. Hey, the reason why I'm telling you I'm coming back, I'm telling you ahead of time, is because I want you to be ready for my return. We even found out how to get ready. Be ready, number one, by believing the gospel. And I want to remind you how to do that. Remember what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of how God rescues people from the bad news. The bad news is that because of a sin, a perfect and righteous God declares all people guilty and deserving of eternal punishment. But the good news is that God is gracious and he loves you. And he promises to rescue anyone, everyone who repents of their sin, believes in the gospel, and commits to follow Jesus no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions. And that person who does that, who believes in the gospel when Jesus returns on the great day of judgment in the end, anyone and everyone who follow him is welcome and is guaranteed acceptance into God's kingdom. If you want to be ready, believe in the gospel. Number two, the evidence that you have believed, the proof that you have believed, the outworking of that, the measurable result is that you'll be responsible with what God has given you. You'll manage it and steward it well. You will attempt to do something with it not just bury it. Even if you think you've failed, 
that in the scripture, this passage is teaching us, it's not, it's not whether or not you think it's successful, but responsibility of what you've been given is doing something, anything with it. What are you doing with what God has given you? And number three, you prepare for his return by believing the gospel, being responsible for what, with what God has given you. And number three, by caring for others. Hey, I know that perhaps as Pastor Nate has been talking about end times, taking us through Mark chapter 13, and here I am trying to dovetail a message that I think would complement what he's teaching us on Sunday mornings. I know perhaps some of you are thinking, man, what's all this end time? Maybe you might think it's spooky or weird or whatever, but what's the point? Why is it important for us to be aware of what the scriptures, what the Bible has to tell us about end times, about the apocalypse, or the technical word is eschatology, the study of end times? Why is this important? Why does it matter, and what should we do about it? Well, when you read the scriptures, when you read the Bible, it's continually pointing us to the future. It always talks about the future. God has told us that because his perfect work of creation was corrupted by Adam's sin, that one day in the future there will be a restoration of that creation in the end. This is something that can only happen because of the gospel, because of the work that Jesus did on the crossed wood. So you see that connection? God's intention is to tell us that, hey, what was corrupted by sin in the past is going to be undone. It's going to be restored in the future. The only way that's possible is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so it's because of this master plan for time that we can live with confidence knowing that our eternal destiny is secure, even though in modern times, as you look around, it seems unstable. It seems scary and insecure. Because God has this master plan, we can find stability and security because of what the scriptures, what the Bible has to say about the future. Number two, this is important because the master's master plan for the future because of it, I can be content no matter what is happening now. Because of God's master plan for the future, it gives me a fresh perspective of contentment towards what is happening now. And finally, because of God's master plan for the future, just like in a TV show, we see the end of the story. Jack Bauer, Jack Ryan saves the day. Just like in a TV show, hey, God wins. He tells us, I am going to win. The gospel wins. And doesn't that change everything? When you face a trial, when you confront, when you experience a setback, challenges, or difficulties, when I remember that in the end we win, oh, my confidence goes through the roof even when I'm hurting. So folks, I hope that's encouraging to you this evening or this morning.
or this afternoon, whenever it is that you're choosing to watch uh, and hear this message. Jesus said, I am coming back. Be ready for my return. How do you prepare for that return? Believe in the gospel. Be responsible with what God has given you and care for others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for letting us know ahead of time. You are a just and a holy and a righteous and a good God. You don't want us to be caught by surprise, unprepared. That's why you tell us ahead of time. And so, Lord, would you empower us now? Would you work within our souls, within our lives now? If we have never, if this person listening to this message has never believed in the gospel, Lord, may they take that first step and trust in the good news of the gospel that saves them from the bad news. And Lord, maybe they have believed, but they've just kicked it into cruise control. Maybe, Lord God, there's no urgency. There's no expectancy. They're wondering what's wrong with my life. I believe in this awesome thing called the gospel. But I just seem lethargic, anemic in my faith. Maybe, God, there's, they're not aware of your return. God, would you shake them up and let them know that you can return at any moment. And that, Father, this perspective of the future, may it stir them, God, out of their slumber. And may they, give, may they begin to bear the fruit of someone who really, really believes. The fruit being, one of those fruits being stewarding, managing what you have given them well. Caring for others. In Jesus' name, amen. So hey, if you prayed this evening, to believe in Jesus for the first time, I encourage you to reach out to me, uh, mannyc at calvary.com. I would love to pray for you, love to talk to you, communicate with you via email, or reach out to Calvary. One of the pastors would love to connect with you as well. Um, www.calvary.com. God bless. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.